I don't know if Danny told you or not, I'm a pinch hitter. Uh, it, it, uh, he texted me this morning and said, hey, can you speak in chapel today? And I said, I would love to, yeah. So this morning, what, uh, what Randy Walthall probably could have done much better, um, you're going to listen to musings. Uh, this is what goes on in my head when uh, I drive home in the afternoon or when I uh, get up in the morning, just thinking about certain scriptures and trying to fit them together and understand how it works. And I, I want us to talk a little bit today uh, about the law and grace or law and gospel. And I have a specific passage in mind that we'll turn to in a bit. If you want to start turning there, you can. We will eventually make it there. It's, it's Romans chapter 8. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 8. But maybe the best place to begin is, and, and Danny's probably in Romans chapter 8 right now, isn't he? Yeah, I, he, he takes all my best stuff. Uh, it's, it's a great thing, though. We love talking about Romans. I think we talk about Romans almost daily, sometimes twice a day. Uh, it's fantastic. I can't imagine better conversation. Yeah, that's what we do in the weight room. We don't actually lift, we just talk about Romans. It's a good time. But I want to start by talking about law. What do you suppose, just by way of introduction, would be the attraction to trying to keep the law? Now maybe we can understand it for Jews because they grew up in the tradition and they have this strong tradition of, this is my identity. This is what marks me as a Jew, the law of Moses, the law of God. Uh, I try to keep this uh, because it's been my every day. But what about you guys? And I, I'm fairly convinced that there's probably a few of us here in our midst, at least anybody who ever spent time in youth group, uh, who is uh, thinking that Christianity is all about rules. It's all about just keeping your nose clean, uh, and I don't mean picking it on them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just following the rules. And in fact, if we're honest, we kind of like it that way. We kind of like it that way. Maybe we were even parented like that, and one day maybe you're thinking, that's what it means to parent, is just to get my kids to follow the rules. Uh, and what's the attraction? Well, to be honest, the law is easy. The law is easy. Now let me unpack that statement for a moment. I don't mean by that to say that it's really easy to keep every tenant of the law, because it's not. But the law is very clear. There's no ambiguity, no questions. Here it is. This is what it means. This is what it says. This is what I have to do. So in that sense, very clear, very easy to know, at least, what I have to do. And I wonder if perhaps we're attracted to that. It's really clear for us. Our passage that I want to spend a little bit of time in with regard to law and gospel, because 
I think it is pertinent not only for the understanding the Jewish law and, and what God was doing in the Jewish law, but also to understand how we relate to law, and perhaps even by way of application, we'll make it here in the end, uh, how we relate to rules and how we should think about ourselves in relationship to what maturity really looks like. Uh, we're going to start off by talking, uh, as you might expect, a little bit of theology to begin with, a little bit of Bible to begin with, and then we'll, we'll try to apply that at the end. But I want to start in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Where are you at right now in Romans 8, Danny? We, we finished you finished it. That's great. Then I can, I, I can try to fix everything that, that you said. Uh, <laughs> there is no way I can do a three-point sermon. Danny proved on Tuesday that you can't get three points into the time that we have allotted. But uh, no, Danny has been doing a wonderful job in Romans, and I so appreciate you teaching it. Uh, this semester, Danny. It, it is fun to have the discussions about it. So if this is old news for you, uh, my apologies. Uh, hopefully it won't be uh, entirely a repetition of what Danny has said. Romans, 8 chapter, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What in creation is Paul talking about here? Well, we have spent a lot of time, some of you have spent more time than I, uh, Paul has spent a lot of time in Romans chapter 7 talking about the law, talking about what our relationship is to the law, and he gives an analogy that you're no longer under the law. Just like a woman when she has a husband and her husband dies, she's widowed and she's now free to marry, Whomever, so too you have been set free from the law. You're no longer under the law. And you're free to marry another. And that other, Paul argues in Romans 7, should be Christ. Then he gives a little bit of what it's like to live under the law. And interestingly enough, whether you believe the second half of Romans 7 is about a believer or an unbeliever, a believing Paul or an unbelieving Paul, in a sense it doesn't matter what he's talking about there is this is what life is like under the law. You see and you know the things that are right to do, and if you're living in the flesh, still living uh, somehow not dependent on the Holy Spirit, then you can't do the things of the law. You can't do them. And indeed, I think this, this second half of Romans 7 is almost a commentary on putting to death the oldness of the letter and living according to the newness of the Spirit. But in the midst of that, Paul is, is saying to us that, that now the law, really, we understand it more clearly, when we understand it more fully, the law really brings death. It doesn't bring life. It was supposed to bring life, but what it brings about, chapter 7 still, 
is death. Because there was a time when I thought I was alive, Paul says. And then the law came and showed me who and what I really was. Sin became alive. Sin, in other words, was exposed in my life. And I died. I died. That leads us into the, the first point that we gain from Romans 8, 1 through 4, and that's that the law exposes sin and it kills. It does not give life. Even though the promise exists for the law to give life, it hangs out there, it looms like a carrot that we follow. We are incapable. We cannot. And that's why in Galatians 3 and 4, Paul says the law functions more like a tutor to bring us to the understanding that we can't do it, that righteousness is not of us, but it's only of Christ, that it can only be found in Christ. It's perhaps appropriate that we're talking about this a couple of days after Reformation Day, uh, because this was a, a, a preeminent theme for Luther. The law doesn't bring life, grace, Christ's righteousness is what brings life. Anybody know Galatians 2.20? Yeah, exactly. You've got the second half. Anybody got the first half? Thank you, David. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the material realm, I live by faith in the Son of God. Yeah. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How about verse 21? It's not one that's in your memory cards, probably. And I doubt if Blake has assigned it yet. Uh, he may, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got the other half of the Bible assigned for memory work, but... This doesn't go on the radio or anything, does it? I hope not. Um, Paul says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. No righteousness in the law. We cannot accomplish it. And so as a consequence, all the law can do for us is teach us that we need Christ lead us to the conclusion that what we need is the righteousness of Christ. Even though the law is good, Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. Indeed, I think Jesus is perhaps playing on that concept a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount when he turns upside down uh, the equation of the Old Testament the equation being that if you're righteous, you will be blessed. And then in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, oh, guess what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> I thought everything was supposed to go well for us. Blessing is supposed to be life is easy. And Jesus turns that on its head and says, um, maybe the formula doesn't work anymore. 
and he continues on to talk about the law. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and he aims his conversation at the heart precisely to demonstrate, you think you keep the law? You really don't. You think you're a good Jew? You're really not. And then he kind of shoots him a zinger when he says in, in Matthew 5, uh, the end of Matthew 5, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Jesus knows that. He says, in fact, in Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish or destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. The law is still good, still to be held up as the perfect and righteous standard because God is perfect. And the law is a reflection of his character. So now we find ourselves in a dilemma. We can't keep the law. The law was weak uh, through the flesh because our flesh is incapable. Uh, that's the weakness that he's talking about. Law is still perfect. Law is still good. But we can't keep it. We're the ones that are weak. We're the ones that are sinful. But what we could not do, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus is, and Paul finally understands this, I don't think he did at the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't a believer at that point. But Paul finally understands, okay, I get it. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death, the perfect sacrifice. No sin. We were just talking about this in a survey of doctrine class yesterday, that Jesus is on the cross, the wrath of God poured out on him, and a remarkable thing happens when he's done bearing the wrath of God. He says it is finished. And what's really remarkable to me is after bearing the wrath of God, he's still alive. He's still alive. And the only way that can happen is if he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. Jesus didn't die because of the wrath of God. He gave up his life which is important for us to remember. He is, in other words, the perfect sacrifice. And in so doing, being the perfect sacrifice, he fulfills the law. I wonder if we could even push this further, and I haven't spent enough time pondering yet. I'll, I'll let you guys think about it a little bit. I wonder if we could understand Jesus as the perfection of the law. Not so much in what he does, but in who he is. I don't know where that concept might take us, so be a little bit afraid. But uh, it's always good to have something to ponder as you're driving miles on the road uh, or uh, sitting in my theology classes. Uh, Jesus as the perfection of the law. But Paul wants to move on from there. The law 
couldn't do something for us, though it held out the promise of righteousness, it could not make us righteous because we're incapable of keeping it. Jesus, on the other hand, was capable of keeping it. And in his life and in his death, he did fulfill the law perfectly. But now, Paul takes us one step further. One step further. And he says in verse 4, In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Through Jesus, in other words, Paul is saying, we are fulfillment of the law. Now, oftentimes how that is understood is, is that, okay, I get it. That means that by the power of Jesus, that with the help of Jesus, I can keep the law. And I think Paul is saying something radically different from that. It's not, here's the law, we couldn't keep it before, but now with Jesus we can keep it. No. The external code has been fulfilled in Jesus. And so how we keep the law is no longer walking according to the external code, but walking according to the Spirit. And of course, those of you who've had me in theology previously, especially for the uh, Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit Angels Church class, uh, or uh, the abbreviation High School Angels Church, uh, it, uh, <laughs> you know what the Spirit's role is. You know what the Spirit is meant to do in our lives. What is it? You tell me. It's John 16, 14. He the Spirit shall glorify me, Jesus says. The Spirit's work in our lives, the Spirit's role in our lives is to cause us to be like Jesus. The verse just before, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, Matthew 5.17. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory, give honor to your Father who's in heaven. When we live like Jesus, when we walk like Jesus, which is the Spirit's goal, we bring glory to God. And Paul, I would argue, is saying that this is how we fulfill law. Walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, is fulfillment of the law. Why? Because we're living like Jesus. Not external code, internal reality. The heart of stone being removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. The Spirit being given to us, having been sprinkled clean because of the water that God has sprinkled on us. All the new covenant reality now living in us, so that we will be careful to walk in his statutes and keep his ordinances. Not external code, internal reality. Jesus alive in us. 
So, what are our takeaways from this short passage and this short reflection on a little bit of theology? Well, first takeaway is we're not under law anymore. We can fairly say that. And, and so the question of, well, how do we relate to the Ten Commandments or how do we relate to Old Testament law uh, or even New Testament commandments, I would say we aren't under the letter of the law. Indeed, I would argue we're, we're called to something higher, something greater, something better than the letter of the law. We are called to live like Jesus. And when we do, the letter isn't that hard. It's kind of like, let me draw an analogy here for you, and I don't have this one in my notes, so be afraid. Uh, it's kind of like a marriage license. A marriage license gives you the permission, so to speak, legally, to live with a person, to love that person, to share your life with that person, and ever be overjoyed at being with that person. You guys want to go buy a marriage license right now? It's not quite the same thing as a hunting license. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But guess what? After you're married, how often do you think you pull out your marriage license to read it? And read the words on it. Oh yeah, what, what am I supposed to be doing again here? Uh, what did my marriage license say? No. The marriage license is the lowest common denominator. It's what the law says, yes, this person is, is that and that person is this and, and these two are together like this, but it's lowest common denominator. You get to actually live the life with that other person. Law, to a certain extent, is kind of like that. It's just an external code that tells us about the character of God, tells us what he's like, tells us how living like him would be, but it's lowest common denominator. It's perfect, it's good, but we have Emmanuel, God with us. We have Jesus, the perfect representation of the Father, Hebrews 1 tells us. The exact representation of the Father, the, the, the radiance of his glory. Jesus says in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He, John says earlier in chapter 1, verse, verses 17 and 18, He, the Son, has explained the Father or revealed the Father to us. We have something greater. And that something greater, the person of Jesus Christ, is living in us. Living in us. Not just an external code, not just something that we eat read through and think, oh, yeah, that would be nice. No, he is with us and in us through his spirit. 
So we no longer live according to the external code. We live something better, something greater. We live the life of Jesus. Now that's a, a tall order, isn't it? That's a high calling. But I'm confident of two things. If you have the Spirit of God, and that's the first thing, do you have the Spirit of God living within you? If you have the Spirit of God, you are capable. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. He is faithful to do it in us. So first takeaway, you're not under law. Second takeaway, you have Jesus in you. <laughs> so let's live the life. Instead of just looking at our marriage license on the wall, the letters, let's actually live with the bridegroom. Last takeaway, perhaps, is, is for you as students. You're here at Bible college. Why does this matter? How does this matter? Well, think of it this way, because we have a lot of discussion about this, and, and we work really hard to try to do this with you and for you. Uh, you have a student handbook. It's kind of like the law, so to speak. You even have to sign your name to it, I think, yeah. <laughs> and you have a student handbook, but what is the student handbook? It's lowest common denominator. We really, at the Bible College, we have this conversation often. We don't like rules. Why? Because rules are easy. What we would rather have is for you guys to learn how to live the character of Jesus each and every day together. And that's going to be hard um, because your roommates are not easy to live with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hard, but that is the best. In other words, what we aim for is maturity rather than obedience. Now, I've said those two as though they are, are somehow contradictory. That's a false dichotomy, because really, obedience is maturity. It's a blessing. It's a, a wonderful thing to obey the commandments of Christ. I mean, think of the greatest, the, the new commandment that he gave to us in John 13, 34, and 35. What is it? That you love one another. How hard is that? It, it's really hard in one sense because you have to live with that guy, Hattie. Yeah. It's really hard in one sense because we rub on each other. But in another sense, it's really wonderful. And I'm juxtaposing, juxtaposing those two things rather than hard versus easy, hard versus wonderful because it is our treasure to love one another. It is Christ's gift to us. Love one another even as I have loved you. It's his gift to us. 
So your life in the dorms, your life at Bible college, not meant to be a life of how do I obey the rules. If you leave here and all you've learned is how to, how to obey the rules, then we have failed you and you have failed yourself. We want you to leave here knowing who Jesus is and what his life in you looks like. Would you pray with me, please? Father, these truths are easier said than done. It is easy to say that we are to live like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and that that is our life. It's much harder to do. And yet, you give us the life of Christ in at least the four Gospels, also in Paul's writings, in John's writings, in Peter's writings. You give us, even more than that, your Spirit living in us, the power of God inside of us. Lord, forgive us for all too often squandering that power. Forgive our pettiness. Forgive our distractions. And we pray, focus our hearts, our minds, our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter, finisher of our faith. that we may lay aside the sin which so easily entangles and every encumbrance and run the race set before us. Run, ultimately, like Jesus. For he is our life. Amen.